Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this Thursday morning, the day before spring practice starts? And Alabama plays Vanderbilt in the uh, second round of the SEC tournament tonight. How you doing? Uh, great. For all those reasons. It's spring practice eve. I'm going to leave some uh, milk and cookies out for Coach Saban. <laughs> some oatmeal cream pies. Uh, boy, see, I'm out. see, it's the offseason for me, too. I'm out of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, uh, man, it's, it's a great time of year. I can't wait for spring practice to get started because we've and what we're going to be doing today is talking about the running backs and the linebackers, but that's what we've been doing. Position breakdowns, analyzing, you know, who's going to go where, what we're predicting for spring practice. We'll finally at least get a chance to get some of those questions answered, start figuring out how things might look come the fall. A lot can happen over the summer. A lot can certainly happen during fall camp, but at least we can start to get an idea. Okay. Who's lining up where who's seeing first team action, who looks good in some of these practices, and then, of course, in the A-Day game. So I'm excited, man. But uh, like I said, we're going to be talking about the running backs and the linebackers today. And then we got uh, the safeties and the tight ends tomorrow, which is going to be another interesting conversation. But, Jimmy, personally, with the running backs and the linebackers, very interesting because I think both position groups are pretty loaded. So what are your thoughts on the running backs? Uh, Because – it's kind of interesting. They've added a lot of new faces. Jameer Gibbs, of course, been brought in from Georgia Tech. You're bringing in Jamarian Miller. 
You're bringing in Emmanuel Henderson. Now, he's not going to be available in spring practice. He's not an early enrollee, but he should be coming into the summer, and the expectation is that he's going to start off his career at least at running back. So you've got a pretty loaded group, but you also have several players or at least a couple of players coming back from injury. What are your thoughts on the running backs heading into spring practice? Well, uh, I'm a huge Jameer Gibbs fan. I was even before he he, uh, he transferred to Alabama. I really uh, watched him at Georgia Tech. I saw a few Tech games, uh, both when he was a freshman and a sophomore. So sort of feel like I know his game pretty well. Uh, this is why I'm excited. It's a big change for Alabama. If you look at Alabama's running back situation over the past two, three years or more, uh, it's really been Brian Robinson and Najee Harris, who are really big power backs. It starts with their power. It starts with them moving the chains, making first downs. Uh, Najee was really good catching the ball, especially. Uh, but they weren't home run hitters. They were they were just power guys uh, and, and both fantastic players, particularly Najee. And, and, and Brian's going to have a good chance to, to, to play in the NFL, too. But Jameer, who I think will end up being the Tide's primary back, uh, is, is going to be every bit as productive as those two. He's just going to do it differently. Uh, there won't be as many broken tackles. There won't be, there could be some third and twos that aren't converted because he, he once defenders get a hand on him, he will go down. Uh, but there's going to be home runs. It's going to look so different. Uh, you know, my, my, my favorite line, I've already used it five times. I'm going to say it 10 more times before the season starts is, is, is that Najee and Brian were really good at scoring from the three yard line. Jameer can score from the other three. He, 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 he can, he can, he can house it from 97. He is a big play machine. And while they might both end up rushing for 150 yards a game or 150 yards in a game, Najee and Brian will do it five, six, eight yards at a time. You know, Jameer might have his handful of non-productive carries, but then boom, he's going to rip off 60. So I, I'm excited to see what it looks like just because it's a little bit of a, a change. Again, not better. He's not better than Najee Harris. It's just different uh, and it's going to look different and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the depth is great. There will be six scholarship backs this fall. Uh, I like the two freshmen. Uh, I like that Alabama took both Jamari and Miller and Emmanuel Henderson. I'm excited about both. I think both will be really good players at Alabama. But the great news here is assuming good health, and there's hardly ever good health all the way through your running back core, but assuming good health, we probably won't see much of Miller and Henderson. And that's fine because the Tide will have four veteran backs, Gibbs and then Trey Sanders, Jace McClellan, and Roy Dell Williams, all of whom have played for Alabama. We've seen their games. We know what they are. Uh, Sanders is the one that can take a big leap forward because as we know, he's still recovering from the extremely serious auto accident back in, uh, back in 2019, I guess it was by now. Um, but he's still recovering, meaning that, uh, he can play. He'll be hundred percent, uh, able to play and go through contact this spring, which he couldn't do a year ago. Uh, but he will this year. Uh, but he's still not quite fast and quick and strong as he was before the accident, although maybe now he is. I'm, I'm excited to see where Trey is in his recovery. Jason Roydell are solid. They're, they're, they're probably not megastars, you know, in the, at the college level, but they're both very good. Uh, I don't think Alabama's going to have to do it by committee, 
because Gibbs is so talented to me, to me, you should just give as many carries as you can to Gibbs. That that's just me. But if they decide, Hey, what we'd rather do is uh, kind of mix and match based on strengths, weakness, and, 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 and opponent matchups. Uh, if they go, you know, at it by committee with Gibbs, Trey, Jace McClellan and Roy Dell, uh, Alabama's going to have a solid running back on the field at all times. So this is a really good position. I'm more excited about it than most, just because I think I'm even more excited about Gibbs than most. Yeah, I'm very excited about Gibbs as well. And what I'm struggling with, with this running back class or, or this running back group is that I made this mistake a couple of years ago in 2020. Trey Sanders, he was coming off, I think it was a foot injury as a freshman, and he was a five-star guy. The coaching staff loved him before he got that foot injury. Um, it was before the wreck, of course. You had you know, guys like Jace McClellan, who was a very highly regarded, highly rated running back coming out of high school. He was coming in. You had Roy L. Williams, who was another top 10 running back, top eight running back coming in. Um, you had Brian Robinson Jr., who had done you know some good things. And then you had Najee Harris. And I remember saying or telling people as good as Najee Harris looked the season before rushing for, you know, I want to say it was close to 1,250 yards. He rushed for 13 touchdowns, averaged close to six yards a carry, was a good receiver out of the backfield, obviously. I thought that with all those other backs, like it would be very difficult to give Najee Harris a lion's share of the workload, that it would kind of be a committee approach. And, and, and I thought, hey, that's a great pitch to Najee because you can sell him on less tread on the tires for the NFL. And then the season gets here, of course, and he gets 251 rushing attempts. That does not include all the targets he saw in the passing game. But the next highest was Brian Robinson Jr. at 91. And then there wasn't anybody else to even exceed 40 carries in 2020. Uh, now, granted, it was a shortened season, but Najee would have been coming a lot closer to that 300 carry mark in a season, which we really haven't seen since Derrick Henry, had it been a typical 15-game season. So my point is, even though Alabama can have a loaded backfield and plenty of options, if they feel like that a workhorse running back can receive a line share of the touches and he's their best opportunity to get production on a snap to snap basis, they'll give him, you know, the Derrick Henry treatment, uh, not, and with Gibbs, it wouldn't be the Derrick Henry treatment just from a rushing attempts, or they wouldn't be confined to just rushing attempts. It would be targets in the passing game and carries, you know, I think at Georgia tech over his 19 games, I think he averaged maybe 12 or 13 carries per game. So that's not a ton. I would probably, if I was Alabama, get him, you know, 12 to 15 carries a game, get him, you know, three, four, five targets a game at the least. And then you can also get some of those other guys involved as well. But Nick Saban, when he spoke on Gibbs, he put it pretty simply. He said he's very fast. He's a very explosive guy who has really good hands. Can't put it in much simpler terms than that. But I do love some of these other options. And that's what I'm struggling with. I think that Jace McClellan, had it not been for a lack of experience. Now he did get some experience last year. So did Roydale Williams, but career snaps between those two guys, I want to say that they had, you know, roughly about 220 career snaps between them. Just Jameer Gibbs alone has had over 650. So the experience factor of adding Gibbs, I think was very important, but in the limited amount that I saw McClellan, He's not Gibbs. He's not as explosive as Gibbs, but he has excellent burst. He's great in the open field. You know, you get him on the swing pass, you hit him out in the flats as a receiver. He can make guys miss. He has great 
kind of one cut ability that you look for in like outside zone type of plays. I think you certainly got that. Plenty of three down ability. And that's what's wild about this group overall. Gibbs, McClellan, I think Roy Dell to a certain extent, even though in pass protection, I think he's still working on some things. He's a better receiver than giving credit for. He's a very compactful, powerful running back who, you know, is not overly big when you look at him. I mean, he's only 5'10. I think he's 212 pounds now, which I think last year he played at 208, so he's gained four pounds. That's four more pounds that you got to tackle, but uh, can be a very difficult player to uh, to wrap up and bring him to the ground because he's so low to the ground, very compactly built, like I said. Trey Sanders, know he's coming back from the injury, but you know you also got Jamarian Miller. That's a guy who coming out of high school, I think he's probably one of the more complete backs in this 2022 recruiting class. I think he's got true three-down skills. Across the board, it feels like Alabama has a group of pretty much all of them can be three down running backs, which I find interesting because that means that who's ever in the game as a defender or as a defensive coordinator trying to figure out what Alabama's doing with their running backs. If you had a guy that's not great in pass protection, if he's out there, then you're kind of telling the defense more than likely I'm out here to run the football because I can't pass protect. Or if I'm not great catching the football out of the backfield, more than likely I'm either going to be in here pass protecting or I'm going to be running the football because they're not going to use me much in the passing game. With all of these Alabama running backs, it doesn't matter who's out there. You don't know what's coming. So I find that very interesting that Gibbs highlights that the most because he's the most explosive electric back they have. But that kind of carries on throughout with all the guys in this group. Yeah, uh, that's so true. Uh, It's not like it's a you can mix and match based on, well, this is our power guy and this is the guy that catches the ball and this is the home run guy and this is the move of the chains guy. They're all sort of pretty similar. As a matter of fact, I think Jace McClellan and Jameer Gibbs are almost the same guy all, with the with this. Gibbs is a proven star. I, I think McClellan hasn't reached Gibbs' level. But if you're like describing skill sets, they're, they're a lot alike and, and very similarly sized as well. Uh, and, and Roy Dell may be a little bit more uh, better than Jace inside. I think between the, in, between the tackles, I sort of like Roy Dell's toughness. But we got to keep these backs healthy. Uh, I know there's six this year. That, that's good that we're starting with six. But how about like in the SEC championship game, I'd argue, the healthiest back on the team for, for the first Georgia game was Trey Sanders, who was who was in a traumatic car accident. And he's like the healthiest guy they got, you know, against Georgia the first time around and was the second healthiest guy, you know, in, in, in the Georgia rematch. So hopefully this year they stay a little healthier, particularly Gibbs. Gibbs isn't just, you know, he's proven. I mean, I, I guess there's somebody out there saying, oh, well, that's just against ACC competition. Well, if that's what you think, you just didn't watch Jameer Gibbs play football. I mean, he's he's going to be really good, even against SEC competition every week. He He's he's a gifted guy, man. He, he can really scoot. He's also going to be a major factor in the kick returns. I'll go ahead and say right now, just because I'm so confident in it, I'm going to put him down for two kick return touchdowns. That's a lot. You know, even one, even predicting one is a thing. Uh, I, I'm going to say Jameer Gibbs uh, uh, returns two kicks for touchdowns too. I mean, that's how good he is. Yeah, and he can make an impact in a variety of ways. And I think that Alabama is going to allow him to do that. 
because they're and granted they dealt with the the depth issues at running back. I wonder if that will make them a little bit more cautious or if they just let cut guys loose like they typically do. I don't I don't think Nick Saban's going to change his entire approach because they had an unfortunate unforeseen outlier type of season at the running back spot. But they, you know, having what we think is going to be six guys, four players who have experience at least to some degree. I mean, you know, when Jace McClellan was out there for the snaps that he was last year, I think it was like 111 snaps. He was the number two running back with Brian Robinson. He was the one that was playing, you know, one B to Brian Robinson's one A. And then when he gets hurt, Roydell Williams becomes that guy. It wasn't like he was just getting mop up duty. He was getting significant touches at important parts of the football game. Then he gets hurt. Then it becomes Trey Sanders and Trey Sanders is the one kind of out of necessity but he's getting touches at important points in the football game. So it's not like this experience is just a mop up to you where things doesn't matter. You're grinding the clock. You're getting them a couple carries in there here and there to try to let the clock hit, hit zero. No, it's, it's important touches for all of these guys, even though it's limited touches because they all ended up getting banged up. But if I had to predict how this whole thing's going to shake out, I agree. I love Jamarian Miller long-term. I love him. I think he's going to be a fantastic running back for Alabama I think he's going to be one of those guys, you know, Najee had to kind of earn his stripes and, you know, he got kind of limited usage throughout his freshman season. And then he, you know, in the national championship game, he kind of took over. And then from there, he got more involved the next year. And then, you know, we, we all saw what happened throughout the rest of his career at Alabama, but with Jamarian Miller, I don't think he's going to get that usage as a freshman that Najee got because they're so loaded, except in the scenario or in the event of some sort of injury or injuries to the guys ahead of him. But long-term, love what he's going to be able to bring to Alabama's offense. For this year, though, I more so see, you know, Jameer Gibbs, I probably see him in that 175 to 200 carry mark. And then I see him probably bringing in, you know, 40 to 50 balls. And I know that that might seem like a lot, but I want to say Najee Harris back in 2020. Yeah, I mean, he caught 43 passes that year. That's on top of having 251 carries. So he had close to 300 touches total. I'm putting Jameer Gibbs more in that 225 to 250 total touches for the season range. And I think that that is a very, you know, that's heavy, heavy usage. I think when you look at the fact that Jameer Gibbs was, you know, from a yards per carry standpoint, very solid player. I think he's going to be able to maximize his touches, even though it's going to be limited runs. If he's averaging close to six yards a pop and he's getting 12 carries a game, you know, 15 carries a game. He'll be up there with rushing yards, but he'll also be getting those targets in the passing game, and he'll be able to keep defenses off balance because of all the different things that he can do. And then you bring in Jace McClellan, and it's more of the same. And then you bring in Roydell Williams and those limited touches. I could see Jace with, uh, you know, with Jameer Gibbs getting 175 to 200 carries. I could see Jace McClellan getting about 100, 125 maybe. Maybe 125 might be a little high, but I would say around 100 and then maybe get him 20, 25 catches out of the backfield. Roydell Williams probably down there in the 50 or 60 carry range. Now, this is all barring everybody staying healthy, but this is a great group, and it's something that Alabama is going to be able to rely on, and Bryce Young is going to be able to rely on. We can't forget the injuries started mounting about halfway through the year, and it just continued to get worse. And every time that that happened, it made Alabama more cautious. They can't afford to lose another running back the way that they have to scheme offensively and protect guys that really put more pressure on Bryce young to perform. And he rose to the occasion, but having a healthy stable of runners that you can rely on 
and especially guys that can do a lot of different things for you, that's only going to take pressure off of Bryce and allow him to maximize his playability in the passing game. And it will take pressure off of him having to use his legs or fans at least asking him to use his legs. So any more thoughts on the running backs before we kick over to the linebackers? No, no, looking forward to linebackers. And again, uh, it's, it's just going to look so different. Uh, but I, I think the production will be the same. Uh, I, I would say what one final thing is, you know, I, I think Trey Sanders could end up being more important than we know to this backfield if if we're struggling to convert some third and ones and third and twos because Gibbs and Jace aren't the biggest guys, then uh, it's kind of fun. I'm not calling Trey Sanders a designated short yardage back. It's not really what he is, but he might be better at it than, uh, than Gibbs and Jace just in, in terms of pure size and tackle breaking ability uh, and, and dragging defenders, you know, past the chains. So, uh, you know, I don't think Trey would by any means be limited to that role, but that's something to watch. Is there any concern, very quickly, before we move on, is there any concern as far as who could potentially transfer? Because how the spring shakes out right now, Roydo Williams has seen enough of himself, and he's gotten the opportunities enough being kind of in that, you know, number two role. Jace McClellan has seen himself in that number two role. And then you got Trey Sanders, who's getting up there where he wants to start making some moves. I mean, this is a guy who predicted that he would win the Heisman as a freshman, and now he's going into his fourth season. And it's been because of injuries that he hadn't been able to live up to that five-star status and that all that hype. It's not his fault. Very hard worker, very well respected by the coaching staff. And I do think that because of that hard work and just respect the coaching staff has for him, I think that if there's opportunities, you make a great point. I'm really not giving him enough credit. The only problem that I see is that there's too many mouths to feed. And especially if Jameer Gibbs is getting the kind of workload that we think he's going to get. Are you concerned that as we progress through spring practice, whether it be a rule, my guess, and I say this because, you know, and I don't want to put any bad mojo out there or anything. It's not the, the, the point. Just want to kind of speak in hypotheticals for a second, even though Nick Saban would kill me if he heard me say that. Roydell Williams is used to being the number two back. He, he kind of got used to that role when he was, you know, granted he was the number three before Jason McClellan got hurt, but then he realized I can handle being the number two guy. I could probably handle being the starter in his mind. Trey Sanders, what happens if he kind of gets bumped back to the number four running back? Those would probably be the most two likely candidates that I could see wanting to get out for better opportunities. Are you concerned at all that that would be a possibility, or do you think they both stick around, especially a guy like Trey Sanders, if they're not getting the touches that they maybe want? Well, yes. Uh, I, I think there there's six. That's, that's, that's a lot. I think five is an ideal number of backs to have myself, but, but, but six is fine. And, and, but, but it is a lot, particularly if you're just trying to, to make Gibbs the show, uh, it, it's going to be easy to see, uh, all the backs other than Jameer getting frustrated with their roles. Uh, you would hope Miller and Henderson would be patient because they're freshmen. You hope so. I don't know their personalities. They're not, you sitting the bench either. Henderson was basically getting 25 touches a game in the ninth grade at Geneva County. Uh, you know, hopefully they'll be just patient because they're freshmen. Gibbs is very likely to be a one and done at Alabama. Uh, not necessarily because I think he's going to rush for 2000 yards and be SEC player of the year, or even be a first round pick. But if Gibbs is the primary ball carrier, that'll be three years of power five competition as the main back. It's not like running backs all of a sudden get bigger or faster after their junior years. 
I think you just kind of are what you are. And uh, I think there's a good chance Gibbs will move on. I, I think if Gibbs does move on, then maybe everyone will reevaluate their their spot, you know, on the totem pole. So I'm not convinced anyone will leave, but it is a very real probability that someone will leave between Jace, Trey, and Roy Dell. Uh, one of them, I would say, is almost near certain, but but I wouldn't I wouldn't wager a lot on it just simply because if Gibbs is a one and done any of those guys could think, well, next year I'll be the guy. Yeah. And that's kind of where I struggle uh, looking at the the running back group because you want to, and I've been asked this a lot. I mean, I, I posted uh, a gif or a, a clip kind of highlighting what I thought about how deep the running back group is. And it was just a guy rolling out a long scroll of paper and it was ridiculously yeah. long because yeah, I funny. feel like the group is very deep and yeah. I got a lot of, you know, there's no way all those guys are sticking around after spring and, and, and I've heard that a lot, and it's just I wanted to ask the question because yeah. it's something that you do think about. Jace McClellan, Roy Dell Williams, I could see them getting enough action to stick around. Uh, I think that there would be a great one and two in 2023 if Gibbs did end up leaving. And then I could see Jamarian Miller working his way up to that number three role, and then we just have to kind of see what happened with Emmanuel Henderson. Uh, I'm Speaking candidly, I'm much higher on Jamarian Miller, by the way. I like Henderson. I think he's going to take some time to kind of adjust to playing high-level SEC football compared to playing at a 2A school and being Mr. Everything and just being bigger, faster, and stronger than everybody around you. We saw Ben Davis struggle with that transition coming out of high school, Uh, but I still think he's got a lot of potential. It's just I think he's going to take a little bit longer, but I love Jamarian Miller. I could see him stepping up to a you know number three role and actually starting to see some action in his second year and then turn around and, you know, if Jace has the kind of season in 2023 that I think he could have, you know, he would be a senior at that point, I guess. He could leave. Then Jamari Miller steps up to that number two or number one. I'm just trying to think years ahead, and it's kind of pointless. But the to me, the guy that stands out, and I hate it because I love him, that I was like, okay, where you're at in your career, what's happened to you, where I could see you fitting into the pecking order, and who knows, I hope I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Everybody tell me I'm wrong if I'm wrong. I have no problem with that, but Trey Sanders is the one that stands out to me and worries me as far as, you know, where he fits into the equation. I was worried when the season was over. I didn't, I didn't talk about it because no one from the inside had told me I'd never heard. It was just my own head. I'm like, is Trey Sanders going to Florida? I kept thinking it'd be Florida. I I don't know why, but I I mean, every, every day I check Twitter. I'm like, is today the day I'm going to hear a rumor that Trey Sanders is transferring to Florida. Same same exact reasons you are. He, he probably feels like he's more ready than uh, than Alabama staff feels like like it. And now here's another. Now you bring in another back who's going to jump ahead of him almost certainly in, in Jameer Gibbs. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I think Trey is the one most likely to leave. And because of his weird career arc in the COVID year, Trey's got like two or three more years to play football. Right. <laughs> I mean, he, he I know he's older, but he's got a lot of eligibility left. Absolutely. And he can make an impact. And that's where I struggle because it's like based off of the fact that the coaching staff loves him and the fact that he's been around and he's, he's served his dues. He's a very interesting case study because you watched him and he actually looked pretty effective last year when they used him, but the coaching staff seemed reluctant all year to give him any sort of significant touches, no matter what was happening with all the other running backs. It just felt like, you know, asking, 
this guy to handle 10 plus carries and, you know, see a couple of targets. It's like, that was asking a lot and they didn't really want to do it too often. And it just makes me wonder what, how confident are they in his ability to stay healthy? How confident is he, what is he looking for as far as touches? Would he be fine with some goal line work and, and being, you know, the number three or number four running back being older than every single one of these guys? You know, it's just these are questions that I have, and I hope that he sticks it out. I know the coaching staff loves him. If they lost him, I'm not saying it would be Jalen Hurts-esque as far as, you know, losing that personality that the coaching staff loves, but I do know that they would, you know, he helps that running back room with his personality, and people need to remember that's an element of this whole thing too. It's just you try to figure out, okay, who's going where, who's willing, you know, these running backs, they want to get their carries, limited carries, don't want to have too much tread on the tire, be productive, get to the NFL because they know that they got a short shelf life in the NFL. And so they want to get there as quickly as possible and make their money. And it just makes you wonder uh, sometimes. But anyways, we'll switch to the linebackers and spend a little time on those guys because it is also an interesting group. You know, you lose Christian Harris, who ended up having a good season, went back and watched a lot of his tape from an NFL perspective, not from just watching Alabama, but just from an NFL prospect perspective. And he had a much better season than even I realized as we were going through. I'd go back and watch games and stuff. I do think that he steadily improved, and we talked about that a lot on this show. But, I mean, a skill set and athletic profile that NFL teams covet right now. He can run. He can hit. He's a little inconsistent. So is Henry Tootoo. I would really love to see a little bit more consistency from Henry Tootoo on a snap-to-snap basis, a down-to-down basis, much in the same way that I wanted to see it from Christian Harris last year. But not only that, a guy who a lot of people, he had had a year of starting experience, it kind of fell down the depth chart, but Shane Lee's gone. He's now at USC. Jackson Braddon, he's now at UAB. They've lost some linebackers, but they brought in some good ones. That's where we think Jihad Campbell's going to start off his career. Love his you know, skill set and his chances of getting on the football field and making an impact. But just the off-ball linebackers, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on those guys heading into Friday? Excited about this group for several reasons. I think it's, it's, it's a great group. It's indicative of what the whole defense is to me. Uh, Henry is a star college player. Uh, real curious to see what the NFL actually thinks about him when they dissect his game uh, after after the, this next season. But as a, we shouldn't care. What we should really care about is: Are you a good college football player? And, and I think Henry's excellent. Uh, he brings so much to the team, intangibles wise. There's no question who the emotional leader of that front seven is. He'll be the quarterback of the front seven. Uh, that takes a lot off the will linebacker spot, which is great. Uh, just, just excited to have Henry back and, and, and his natural leadership skills are just outstanding. And, and again, I can't, I can't stress enough how important it is to have a guy making the calls that gets it right almost every single time, uh, because it, it can go sideways when, when you have a guy that's inconsistent with that. Um, next to him is, is maybe the best position battle on the whole the whole spring uh, and, and, and it will bleed into fall camp. I have a little doubt, but uh, the battle for the will linebacker spot vacated by Christian. And by the way, I agree with what you said. We, we were too hard on Christian as a, as a fan base last year. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, imagine this Alabama fans expecting too much. No. Uh, I think expected too much at a number eight. Uh, when I've rewatched uh, from, from last season, he, he stands out to me and it's because he's so athletic. He's so athletic. And now that we know he's a four, four guy, we know that now go watch the tape. You, you'll be like, 
dang, he's fast. <laughs> he really is. So uh, we'll miss Christian. But the, the battle to replace him between the veteran Jalen Moody, who I love uh, as a story, just about every kid in the start lineup at Alabama is a five-star or chose Alabama over Ohio State or Clemson or Georgia. Here's a kid, Moody, and I don't know that everybody knows this or if it's a secret or shouldn't be a secret anymore, but Moody was only asked to walk on at South Carolina. Clemson didn't return his calls. This is probably the most lowly recruited kid on the roster or certainly near the bottom. He just didn't have many opportunities, but kudos to Alabama for spotting him and saying, hey, this could be a guy here. And that's really what recruiting is about to me. It's not just about convincing the five-star that, that we're the better spot for him than Georgia. Uh, recruiting is also watching tape of a guy that a lot of other teams are, are passing on and going, no, 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 I see something here. And, and, and Alabama is to be lauded for that in developing Moody into uh, what I think is a quality SEC linebacker. Um, but Moody's going to have to hold off one of those five-star freaks in Deontay Lawson, because uh, Lawson is a Saban bot. He's five-star ability, five-star intangibles, uh, a, a kid perfectly capable of beating Alabama's starting will linebacker this fall and being a star player doing it. Uh, the modern linebacker Lawson can is, is, is just as good in space as he is in the tackle box. Uh, he can cover, he can rush the passer. Uh, he can, he can hit the back in the hole. He can take on linemen. And at the same time, he's a leader and a hard worker and a smart kid. He's just a saving bot. So what a battle between those two. I won't be surprised. We've done this in the past. Saban doesn't really rotate, but he has done this at inside linebacker. In the past, we have used some inside linebacker at, at one position. I remember we did it. I think when they were young players off the top of my head, it was Nico and CJ Mosley. Uh, but we would sort of use, you know, Nico, who's Jalen Moody on first and second down and then, and then bring in CJ on third down because he was so good in space, even as a young player. I could see Alabama maybe doing something like that, uh, but most likely they're going to go with one or the other, whether it's Moody or Lawson. I, I flip-flop myself, Clint, all the time on how I think that battle's going to go. I root for both of them. I don't have a favorite. I, I'm just curious to see how it works out. Depth-wise, real quick, I think with those three, Alabama's got the starting positions covered. That's three starters to me, Lawson, Moody, and, and, and Toa Toa. Uh, but Kendrick Blackshire will be a quality depth. And uh, and I also think Jihad Campbell uh, is going to be the freshman that's going to be hard to keep off the field. I, I, Alabama doesn't have an opening at inside linebacker, but Jihad, almost like Dallas Turner. Who would have thought a year ago that Dallas Turner would end up a starter? So many players had to get hurt in front of him for it to happen. Hopefully that won't be the situation at inside linebacker. But if it does, I think Jihad Campbell could pull a Dallas Turner and by the end of the year be a quality starter if we, if we had to press him into service. Uh, I, I think he could be a guy. Uh, deep depth guys to me are Ian Jackson and Demoy Kennedy. I like them both. I think both have futures. I think both could be guys. Uh, but, but, but today I don't think they're as good as the others. Yeah, it all starts with Henry Toto, like you said. Um, he's the the communicator. He doesn't mind communicating. He's a, he's effective at it, and I think that's a very important part. People don't realize when he came over to Alabama, 
uh, you know, he transferred in. He didn't transfer in until late and took him a little bit of time to adjust going from Tennessee to Alabama. There's a lot of similarities between Jeremy Pruitt's defense and Nick Saban's defense. So that was definitely helpful. But just, you know, being asked to step into a new locker room with new teammates, assert yourself as kind of the alpha or at least the leader of the defense and by leader, you know, I think we all understand Will Anderson was one of the key leaders. He was the emotional leader. He's the one that a lot of people fed off of, but from a field general, who are you turning to? Who is supposed to know what I'm supposed to do when I don't know what to do? That was Henry Toto. And it took him a little bit of time of mastering and getting comfortable in that role. We saw him, you know, early in the Florida game, early in the season in the Florida game, you saw him. He looked out of sorts. He didn't like he was confident in what he was doing. And his play was affected. And fans really got down on him as a result of that. What they didn't understand was it wasn't that he didn't have the ability. He was just getting set and getting comfortable in that role. As he got more comfortable, the natural talent started taking over. You see that, you know, just initial great explosion off the snap, meaning like he, when he sees it, he gets downhill in a hurry. He can identify it. He can... I just, I think he does a very good job. He's not, I wouldn't say he's elite at anything outside of just being a great Mike linebacker and just knowing what people are supposed to do, knowing his role, what he's supposed to do when he sees it and he identifies it. He he does a great job of reacting to it. I think he's, as far as his diagnosis and, and being able to read and react to plays, I think that's still a little bit of a work in progress. He's good at it at times, but I did see some inconsistency there and I'd like to see a little bit more. The position battle you're talking about, though, between Deontay Lawson and Jalen Moody, it is very interesting to me. And I am, I respect Jalen Moody. I think he's done fantastic things. Nick Saban in Alabama, going out and identifying a guy like that, a guy that who nobody else, hardly anybody else had on the radar, that provided them with a guy who's been a great special teams player, and he's been a great player. When he, when he got asked to step up in 2020 when Christian Harris went down against Arkansas, he came in, he led the team in tackles with seven, was an effective player. He had an interception against uh, Miami in the first game of the season last year. Has always been willing to step up to the plate and play at a high enough level to keep things running smoothly when called upon. And that is a guy that, you know, it's it's taken a couple of years for him to get to that point. But, you know, that's hard work paying off as far as the coaching staff being willing to dig to find a guy like that. That being said... Going in, I'm pretty pro Deontay Lawson. I think he would do incredible things in Alabama's defense. Like you said, he was a five-star according on three. Has the ability to get sideline to sideline. Great pursuit linebacker. He's got a great feel for the game. He can diagnose plays, and he does a great job. But once he's diagnosed it, he can navigate his way through traffic, locate the ball carrier, bring the ball carrier down. Very comfortable in coverage. He doesn't ever seem lost. Like, he's, like I said, he's got a great feel for the game. His natural athleticism just makes it seem so easy. You just watch guys play the linebacker position. It's a position that I played. And trust me, I didn't look nearly as fluid and, and just natural playing the position as he does. But when you see it, it's just like that guy just gets it. That's why I'm so pro Deontay Lawson. And I think he's going to be a good player. And what I find to be interesting is Jalen Moody entered the transfer portal earlier, you know, as soon as the season was over. And then he pulled himself out of it. And I think the coaching staff said, hey, there's a competition here, and you can win it. And when Christian Harris chose to not come back and they only got Henry Toa back, Jalen Moody decided, I want to compete. I'm going to have to compete wherever I go probably. Why not, you know, just compete here and try to win the job? 
Now, if Jihad Campbell is having a great spring practice and he's working his way up the depth chart and the coaching staff feels comfortable and saying, we really don't want to lose Jalen Moody. We love him. Great special teams player. But we got to start figuring out how we're going to get Jihad Campbell on the field. We've got two linebackers standing in front of him. Maybe they'd be more comfortable saying, you know what? Deontay Lawson has won this competition. If we lose Jalen Moody, we lose Jalen Moody because Jihad Campbell can step up. He can be that, you know, number three off-ball linebacker. Maybe that ends up happening. Maybe it doesn't. I'm saying that that's a potential scenario. The coaching staff, it's all going to depend how good or how comfortable Jihad Campbell is picking things up at Alabama. And, you know, he's got a lot of that Will Anderson energy to him. He's very uh, eager to learn and to get better. And that's the type of guy that Alabama is going to want to get on the field. Where do you put him? And so they're going to have to figure that out. Some of those other depth guys, interesting stuff. You know, Kendrick Blackshire to me, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Rocked up guy coming out of high school. I mean, just incredible physique. 245 pounds, 6'2". Back then, he reminded me a lot of former Alabama linebacker Dante Hightower in the sense that, you know, how he was used for Duncanville in Texas is, you know, he would play off-ball linebacker. He'd be a stand-up edge rusher. He'd be that traditional defensive end and put his hand in the dirt. That is all the kind of stuff that Dante Hightower did for Alabama. You'd see him as a true 4-3 defensive end when they go with a four-man front. He'd be a stand-up outside linebacker rushing the passer. He'd play off-ball linebacker. But in today's college football, you can't be Dante Hightower anymore. You can't be 250, 260 pounds as an off-ball linebacker. So he's lost weight. He's gotten down to 232, 233, and been a good special teams player from what I've seen. Do you think it's possible that they can maybe end up moving him around a little bit, or do you think he'll strictly be an off-ball linebacker throughout his career? Well, that is a great question. Uh, for one thing, I would uh, – I could certainly see him moving around at some point. I would just say for right now, you know, if you move him around, I'm not sure where he'd play. I mean, I mean you know, I don't think Blackshire could, could play outside now or, or, or rush the passer you know, any better than, than Will Dallas Braswell or, or maybe not even Keanu Coat. Uh, so I, I don't know that there'd be a spot for him, but in terms of what he's capable of doing, definitely. As a matter of fact, you know, I loved, I liked him best when I sort of like was infatuated with Blackshire is really watching him rush the passer. Although I realized I wasn't going to be a spot at Alabama but, but he's really good at it. You know, he's so physical, obviously. Uh, he can also really run and, and, and play in space. Uh, I think he's a good player. You know, at Alabama, it's so many spots other than maybe offensive tackle. You know, it's kind of like there, there's players that aren't going to play much. It doesn't mean that they're not great players. Uh, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, particularly us older fans, we're, we're sort of used to the idea of following Alabama all these years that if a player's not starting, if we're not seeing a lot of him, he's, there's probably not much there. That, that's just not, not the case on the Nick Saban era at all. There's just too many good players. And, and, and I'll tell you what, I mean, we might not see a lot of Kendrick Blackshire or Jihad Campbell this year, those two, and those two would be the starting inside linebackers at half of the power five programs in the country. Uh, that, that's how good they are. But but there 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 might not be room for him this fall at Alabama, assuming everyone stays healthy. Agreed. Yeah, I just you know I went back and watched a little bit of his high school film just because I remember liking him a lot and thinking he was a little bit underrated. 
And, you know, I, I think it was that versatility that I really cover. I wouldn't say coveted, but really made him stand out to me. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, I mean, are you putting him out there on the edge when you got Dallas Turner and Will Anderson? And if you're not having that, if he's not bringing that type of versatility to Alabama's defense, at least not this year, what's left? You know, what the other parts of his skill set, what else do you see that you're really like? And I do think he's a good player, but I really think that he's kind of a uh, move him around, do a lot of different things with him. And if you take that away and you can't really do that, then, you know, he's just, uh, he's a good player. And I think that he'll continue. I mean, he's dropped weight. You know, I think that that will continue to help. He dropped another pound. Actually, I think he gained a pound back. He was 232 last year. He's 233 now. Pretty much the same thing. That's not anything even really worth noting. But I just thought that he was an interesting guy that I wanted to talk about. Des Moines Kennedy, at some point, I mean, are we we ever going to see him live up to that top 40, you know, ranking coming out of high school? Lean linebacker play, even though he's lean, you know, he's he's got the length. I mean, 6'3", 220, just not really a guy right now that – I don't know if he's ever going to be able to. I love the fact that in high school, despite the fact that he was lean, very physical, didn't mind putting his body at risk, very fearless type of player. I respect that at the position. Just don't really know uh, if he's ever going to get the chance that that he needs at Alabama outside of maybe special teams. It, but anyways, um, the good part about the linebacker position, the off-ball linebacker position, is that the entire group is already intact. You know, Sean Murphy, another true freshman, he's already in the fold. Jahad Campbell's already on campus as an early enrollee. Plus, you got all the other guys. You know, at running back, Emmanuel Henderson's not there yet. That's another piece that you don't know what you're getting, uh, what he's going to be, what he's going to add to the room. The coaching staff, by the end of spring, they should have a plenty good idea of where they stand at off-ball linebacker. So, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Bam on 3 show. We're going to be back tomorrow talking about the safeties and the tight ends. That's an interesting discussion can't wait to have that jimmy as always i appreciate you hopping on here with me brother fun stuff and uh happy spring practice eve to everyone absolutely man i can't wait for this stuff to get started we'll be doing a lot of reaction based type stuff based off of what we're hearing jimmy does a great job of keeping his ear to the ground gets a lot of good information we'll be able to share that with you guys so definitely stick around we appreciate you listening in to the bam on three show i'm your host clint lamb madness is here Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 
1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.